0: Listening, Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the rugby podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello and welcome to Rocket today. Myself and Kieran will be talking about swing low sweet chariot. Should it, shouldn't it be banned? Should we use it as an educational piece? um the RFU are calling for it to be banned we'll be talking about the global season again and we'll also be talking about our worst and best roommates plus plenty more to follow on rocket
1: rocket with Kieran
0: Bracken and Nick Easter so
1: Nick I'm not being funny I've, I've got to mention it um the attire this morning either you've just been for a run you're going for a run or you're just trying to flex those muscles to make me feel uh, feel like a week back, but that's some luck you've got. I've got to say that is some luck. It's like you've come out of, I don't know, a park over in, you know, over in America. And uh, say so you know, what, really to... what you really think, Brax.
0: What's the what's the turn? <laughs> no, yeah. You are correct, mate. I am I am gymming After this, it's too early to do it before that. But uh, right, yeah. And you've got to also remember, Brax, we're now entering the hottest week. So plenty of barbecues, plenty of tops off. Yeah, um, got to get that sun cream on you yeah? and uh, get the tan up, mate. And we're in, in the hot, hottest week this week. so. Uh, listen, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to make you very
1: jealous. I'm going to show you the pool of my garden.
0: I'll show you the pool in mine, shall I, as
1: well? All right, we'll see. We'll see who's got the biggest pool. This is like uh, a comparison in the
0: showers, isn't it? Mate, it's, Wait, it's, listen- not, it's not all of our size, mate. You know that, Brax. <laughs> you know that. you know your career say, on that. On I was going to say,
1: you'll have noticed that I'm growing my hair. I've not, I've not, I've not sort of cut it yet. And there's a no, reason. I haven't, for...
0: noticed. I haven't noticed that, mate.
1: That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's true. I like it. But there's a reason for that. I read in the, in the papers, I think it was called The Spectator. My, my father-in-law sent it to me. But did you know that bald men, okay, are more likely to suffer severe symptoms uh, of COVID-19 than any other person, race, bald men, did you know? More more likely to suffer mostly from it.
0: statistically. Well, sounds like a load of tripe again, just like uh, you, you may... i tell you what, who you remind me of there. You remind me of the group of Americans, I think it was about 34% of them, that stopped drinking Corona beer because they thought that that <laughs> gave the virus to people. Oh, now, my I God. You, the same intellectual uh, stage as them, mate, if you believe that.
1: Mate, but l- l- listen, here's some good news. I don't know what you're doing with your club, Wimbledon, but. Uh... Had our first training session with Stead Rugby Club. Met all the guys. Great bunch of lads. And, uh, we had what you would call a round robin of, I don't know, let's call it seven different um, stations. stations. Yeah, you have a bit of fitness, a bit of speed, a bit, a bit of strength work. Um, I was doing the three-on-three uh, netball game, and then I had the number nines for like an hour. That was all right. It was good. I mean, everyone was just gagging to be outside, throwing a ball with their mates. Um, and I think perhaps they're going to uh, go from two metres to one metres very soon and it's going to be, you know, rugby players are going to be allowed to do a bit more. I guess you haven't had the chance to go down to your club or they're not opening. No, they're making a, a decision. Yet. I think
0: they're making a decision this week, so then we'll find out. But uh, it seems to uh, have sped up, doesn't it? Sort of, uh, OK, we'll call it back to normal, although obviously it's going to be slightly changed, isn't it, the new yeah, north, But uh, um. You know, as you say, mate, I think uh, I think Boris wants to get the economy back on track, mate. Um, he's making a big push for it. Pubs are looking to open earlier than they previously were. Premier League started, obviously Rugby New Zealand started. And as you say, sort of even lower league rugby, which is great news, really, because, you know, the, the, the top professional leagues can deal with it. they got the finances for the testing and what have you. But, um you know, it was the lower leagues and the sort of social game, if you like, that was going to suffer. And, uh, you know, I I, I I think cricket, I think cricket will be back as well, pretty soon as well, because, you know, rugby's obviously struggling. We've discussed this many times and anyone that knows the game, it's probably the hardest sport to bring back in a situation like this, um, given, the, mm-hmm. given the number of contacts and close contacts you have. Yeah, but cricket less so. Um, and I think that's sort of looking to obviously uh, come back in the next couple of weeks. And, as long as the sort of numbers keep falling and, you know, it's looking quite positive. We don't want to speak too soon. Um, but ultimately, mate, everything you read and hear from even the experts, is still speculation, isn't it? And you just sort of have to take each week or each day as it comes.
1: No, absolutely. And um, I think I think rugby's got much more challenges than most other sports. Uh, but I suppose the talking point this week has been about the banning of, of swing low. Um, and, and lots of articles written about it, and um, I guess really I, I did a bit of research. It was what wa- uh, Wallace Willis, who was a freed Oklahoma slave, who wrote the song. Um, and actually, I think to be fair to most rugby folk, whichever colour you are, you know, most people don't know the connotations or who wrote it of the song. Um, you know, the, the, the contents of which talk about. You know, refer to the conditions of being a slave and hoping for freedom and a better life. But I guess you know, first, first thing, I'm a bit confused. I, I read, I read that it was brought about by, I think it was when Chris Oti first played for England, scored a hat trick, and people started singing. But then someone said, no, it was uh, Martin, Martin of Fire, wasn't it, in the Martin seven. of Fire in the Sevens, uh, chariots of fire. Um, So I I don't know the answer to that. Maybe our listeners can can tell us. uh,
0: Well, I think the the only person who would know the answer is probably whoever first started singing it there. And uh, I think a lot, you know, I'll come on to sort of my viewpoint in in a moment. But um, I would imagine, because Martin Afaya's nickname was Chariots, yes someone or a group of people went to the game and thought well you know the swing low street chariot probably not knowing the origins or I imagine didn't know yeah. the origins at all i mean i certainly didn't you know when no. i first started singing it and hearing it at twickenham and you know uh, you know and obviously at uh, university rugby and school rugby and all that sort of stuff when you're introduced with all the hand gestures and all of that sort of stuff <laughs> and yeah. the acting out and yeah um, all of that sort of stuff. But uh, I'd imagine, you know, with, with the sort of chariots of fire line, um, that's that might be, again, you know, it's speculation, I don't know, but it might be why they sort of uh, introduced it. And, you know, I think it was a tribute, actually, you know, to the quality of player he was. Um, I, again, I, I'm just assuming this, but, uh, you know, the guy was a Is legend it- player scoring loads of tries in that particular Sevens tournament And uh, it's sort of a tribute to his song, a little bit like that sort of Maro Itoji, you know, uh, when they go, oh, Maro Itoji. It's a sign of adulation and respect. Um, But look, you don't know until you, until the person or the group of people that uh, first sung it, allegedly in 1987, um, let you know that. But, uh, I think, Maggie, yeah, Maggie Alfonso. She, she, um, she Alfonso or Alfonso? Alfonso. Af- I keep getting it
1: wrong. Yeah. Maggie Alfonso, getting it wrong, the mate. only female black uh, council member now, the RFU, who wants to be president of the RFU, did say that she didn't know the background to the song. And yeah. she, she never really, until someone told her, she was absolutely horrified. And since then, she decided never ever to sing it. But she said it's, you know, she doesn't want it banned, but she thinks people should be educated. And understand and make a decision, and the question will be: Is are the RFU going to ban it, or are they going to ask people to use common sense? So it's interesting, but you do have other people to the other side say, "Well, come on, this is a, you know, this is getting ridiculous, you know." Now we're getting so politically correct uh, i don't know the answer i guess though I well mate, i know.
0: mean i think I, I've, st- I've stolen this from a journo friend of mine who wrote a brilliant piece um and you know i just sort of educate our listeners and you and myself a little bit more and uh he's done quite a bit of research on this because right um again as you say you know it is pc you know a little bit pc heavy isn't it you know it's a song that's Look, a lot of people sung that didn't know its origins and what have you. And I think it's important to educate now that they do. And, you know, with this bit of this Black Lives movement and, you know, talking about the slavery and and everything, I think it's been great that, uh, you know, it's been brought to the fore and people's attention. Um, yeah. And it should be used as a part of history. Um, how are you going to try and ban a, someone singing a song? I just don't know. And, you know, I think there's more important matters uh, to contend with within uh you know diversity and everything, especially within the RFU. But this, this is from um, this is from you know the journal. I sort of um, you know he, he he forwarded it to me. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant piece. But these are just sort of snippets. It says okay, you've mentioned you know where the origins came from. But uh, in 2002, it was included in Songs of the Century uh, by the Recording Industry Association of America and the National Institute of Arts. It's obviously over years, been culturally and artistically celebrated um, with its meaning, you know, revered as a reference point to unacceptable times, you know, times of slavery, you know, back in, you know, I think it was the 1800s. Um, but it was so offensive at back in 1939 to the right-wing regime of Germany, the third world Germany, right. yeah, I read it that. tried yeah. to ban it, right? Right. Um, And during the 1960s civil rights movement and the struggle, the song enjoyed a resurgence and it was performed by a number of different artists, you know, fighting and campaigning for the civil rights of, you know, black Americans, African-Americans in particular. It was sung at the Woodstock Festival as well by certain famous artists. So apart from the RFU and the RFU Council finding it offensive, the only other group of people that found it offensive a far far right, all white, right, <laughs> fascist dictators, right? And you're just thinking, <laughs> give it a little bit of context here. So you've got yeah. to be able to distinguish actually how pe- people who absolutely, you know, they sing the song. They might not know the background, the origins, but just because the origin, okay, and it's a beautiful song, sung by a free slaves. You as you mentioned, you're yeah, dreaming of better times. I think that should be celebrated and i don't think it should be looked yeah. upon like this and i think the bigger issue is the rfu are using it as a scapegoat for their underlying problems as you've mentioned and we mentioned last week in terms of the lack of ethnic diversity they've got you know w- within their headquarters within their hq oh, yeah. I think they're using it as we've got to be seen to be doing something here because what we don't what you know what we don't want to be doing is trying to you know Mix up uh, but Nick, the 450 employees they've got, mate. Back in 2012, the 450 employees, they had two ethnic members. I mean, uh, it's nuts, isn't it? I know, I know you said, but... And but, they're, trying yeah. to use, they're trying to blame a song now. The irony, song
1: yeah. Them. The the irony of it all, though, is that uh, the RFU have used the slogan "carry them home," and it's all over the stadium, absolutely yeah. everywhere. So it's a bit like uh, you know, And the, the, and the RFU used...
0: also seem to be happy to play the Eminem song "Lose Yourself," which is all oh, about yeah. <laughs> shooting people. <laughs> and like <laughs> and loads of profanity did it. I mean, mate,
1: they're a complete. I complete don't think. Victory. I don't think. Listen, I don't. I, I actually don't think that the. Um, that the people at Twickenham are going to sing it anymore. I actually think people will think twice about it. I mean, it's important to educate, but in a way, like you say, let's put it in context. But there was a great article um, and a, a great reference to all of this by you know Dan Leo. Do you follow him on Twitter? Yeah, the yeah Western yeah. Samoan guy, and um, talk, he basically talks about he talks about slavery within rugby. He said that uh, when Tonga come to play England in this autumn, let's keep our fingers crossed that it actually goes ahead. But he's saying those players, those Tongan players, will be getting £100 for the match. And he said, the England players, what do they get? Twenty-five grand a match. He says, they're right there. That shows massive inequality. And he calls it slavery. Or maybe not him, maybe the, um, the writer does. And it made you think, actually, in a way, there's something in that, isn't there? There's actually something well, this is in the that. The thing, mate,
0: is people are now pointing the finger and trying to rewrite or erase history without any sort of context and understanding. You know what? nothing's perfect, no one's perfect, everyone's got their flaws and you learn from history to make the world a better place, ideally. And what we're doing now, you know, who's going to look in 100 years' time and say, oh my God, I can't believe they did that, that's so offensive, right? Especially the way we're going. Um, You've got to deal with the real issues. That, to me, is a real issue and always has been. How they've treated the South Sea Island players is, is nothing short of disgraceful and disrespectful and actually... I understand that, and we don't want to get too much into the sort of uh, semantics of it all, but uh, I understand the language used there because ultimately with with the coffers getting filled in the Tier 1 nations and especially at the RFU, the proportion given to sort of the struggling Tier 2 nations and, you know... The it's quality, shocking, isn't it? I mean, it's and, shocking. Uh, the quality I mean. of rugby, they bring the quality of player, um, you know... They're, they're meant to provide, you know, a full international team on a shoestring with very, very limited time, um, hardly any facilities, you know, asking for favours throughout the country when they come. You know, rugby clubs, I know, they, you know they, they used us, you know, they trained with us a couple of years ago, Samoa did at Quinn's, and we sort of put, you know, helped, helped them out with sort of local hotels and what have you. And you just think, you know, surely this is more important than a song that's sung, which actually celebrates everything that's good in rugby. Um, it's, you say that and, and, and you look
1: at, I mean, you normally look, at, I just can't understand why England, you know, the richest net, richest rugby um, sort of council in the world wouldn't, be, wouldn't look at that and say, hang on a sec, this is just frightfully unfair. We've got 80,000 people. Maybe it won't be 80,000 for Tonga, maybe 60,000 people with all the hospitality they're probably making and they've got a bit of TV money. I, I guess the TV money will be shared. With Tonga, but uh, but also I can just imagine that actually 100 pounds each. I mean, if there's ever slavery, that's it right there. And I think there was there was talks some time ago of you know sharing some of the match fees with these. Do you think the players should make a stand? I think that would be a good idea. I think well, you know Tonga what, I mean, it's
0: been, been mooted before, isn't it? But it only, it only takes one, um, you know, one sort of. Uh, person to sort of start the ball rolling. And we've had that with Marcus Rashford, haven't we? With uh, yeah. uh, the fantastic sort of food voucher um, money uh, campaign he had where he raised 20 million or, or just over. Yeah. And uh, I think if that happens to be the case, look, you know, it's been quoted as £100. It might not be £100 exactly and everything, but we know for damn sure being involved in the game and speaking to them how the money's divvied up. They've really been shortchanged over the years and, you know, continue this year if the game goes ahead. But, uh, so let's actually, just get it, I get think it might out might there. see I think you might see a few Marcus Rashford's within the England, England squad for that particular game, you know, whoever else they're I playing agree. as well. I agree.
1: And, and it wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to do for the players who are, you know, richly rewarded when they play for England because us players back in the 2000s went on strike for the likes of you for your wages to go up. But I do think there's such inequality, I think it's about time we did something. And unfortunately, I think we've got to change the rules as well for these, um, you know, teams like Samoa and Tonga. I'd like to see the likes of Believe in the when they retire from England to go back and play for them. So I'd like to change the rules in that respect. I'd like to get them more game time. I'd like them get them, you know, playing against Australia, South Africa, New Zealand more, you know, they hardly ever play them anymore because there's no money in it for them. It's all about the money. And We've got to we've got to become more equal, and I think that's probably more of an important story than than getting rid of the song of a uh, swing low. But it just, just, it uh, just just on
0: the subject of songs, yeah, yeah, the most offensive song, especially for an English Englishman, whether uh, you know what, what what whatever ethnic origin is the flower of Scotland, now. flower
1: of Scotland, yeah, yeah talking yeah, about yeah.
0: killing the English back yeah. in thirteen fourteen, <laughs> Battle of Bannockburn, like literally a millennial ago. Um, I was gonna yeah, and, I was uh, gonna ask and, you. And, yeah. and 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 that's actually offensive. So if they're gonna ban any song at Twicken, I say, you know what? If we're gonna ban Swing Low Street Chariot, we're gonna ban Flower of Scotland. Because we take offense to the fact that you're referencing our ancestors getting murdered at the hands of yeah. you. Well not murdered, yeah. Just just one killing. win.
1: Just what it's just one or two wins, and they're just that's yeah. the other thing. It just dawned on me. I was gonna ask you, what's your favorite and least favourite songs? Uh, that you've heard, uh, whether national anthems or um, cult songs at, at matches. Yeah, because there's quite a few. We've played around the world and you've heard... Oh, oh mate, oh, mine, oh.
0: mine was um, Got so easily the, the, French, the La- French national anthem. Mate. Marseille. oh, really? I, Mar- used to, oh. Mate, I used to sing along to it. So oh, really? whether we were at home or away, first or second... I always used well, not sing because I don't know the words, but <laughs> I used to hum along. To it. <laughs> yeah. I loved it, mate. I absolutely loved it, and and uh, and I also like the alele, blue, alele, blue because yeah, yeah. You, you always used to get inspired. You know, just talk, going back to sort of rugby is. I always found you know away from home, playing in the hotbeds of rugby away from home was the real challenge, and what you know really stoked, it always stoked the fires playing for me, but really stoked the fires and, and you know proving yourself against the best in on their home patch. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was, you know, I managed to sort of separate sort of the emotion of the crowd from actually doing your job and the focus in the game, but I still enjoyed and was aware, you know, even when it was swing low, sweet chariot or, or the crowd was getting behind you at Twickenham, you're still aware of mm. how much, uh, you know, extra that can impart on the home side. And uh, I certainly yeah. used to see it as a challenge when they got behind the French. And as I said, you know journey anthems i used to hum that every single time loved it absolutely you get
1: to that point march yeah, oh exactly. but i tell you i mean i played in uh, in paris a few times and i played when they were actually a really good team and holy shit they did the anthems absolutely amazing cockerels on the pitch all sorts and then suddenly the game the game went and and this was at a time where they were they were expected to express themselves and every time there was a pass a bit like in football you know ole Ole, and I remember at one stage, they must have had about 40 passes, tw- 20 phases, scoring a corner, all the crowd every second. Ole, ole, and it was like chasing shadows. It was horrible. Castagnard, Philippe Seller, all of these amazing players. But um, what about, yeah, so the flower of Scotland's always quite, quite a, you know, it's it's quite patriotic, isn't it? And um, yeah, I just, it, Got the bagpipes in the middle of the pitch, and it was like Jesus. It'd be freezing cold, and it'd be raining. Of course, uh, that was quite, quite, um, quite tough. But uh, London, my father in Wales, is amazing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, think? I mean, especially the I mean, Millennium, the Millennium Stadium, oh. mean, the cacophony, because the Welsh
1: oh, the sound. And in they all fairness, sing, the Welsh can
0: sing. They can sing. They can sing.
1: They can see. What about? can I, 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 t- I
0: tell you what, I'd love to. I, I asked this during during when I was playing sort of middle of my England career, um, when I watched Zulu and then men of Harlech. Remember they sing men of Harlech? (laughs) And I was like, why don't they say, why don't they sing that? And they used to sing it and they sing it. I think Cardiff city, I could be wrong here, but Cardiff city, you know, the football supporters and everything, but that's another wonderful song, you know, to hear sort of reverberating around a large stadium. And, uh, Yeah, I'm sort of. I remember asking, you know, a few of the Welsh players said, "You not not they're in charge, obviously, of what the crowd sing." But uh, you know, have Mm. you ever heard them sing that? Said, "No, no, we haven't heard them sing it." So it'd be great to sort of. That could be their swing low, if you like, the sort of the second anthem that they sing. Uh, Why?
1: Why are Why are Wales? Why are Wales and Scotland allowed to sing? Those songs when it should be their national anthems, which is God Save Our Gracious Queen. No, <laughs> I think in 2004 that uh, Scotland tried to have their own national anthem to be Flower of Scotland and it, it got put in the back
0: burner. Yeah, so I always like, wonder like everything uh, else Scotland campaigned for, mate. You know, it never get to like, the ground, does it?
1: I, I had a bet with a mate, a Scottish mate. I said, if, if, um, and I was up there at the game, I think you might have been playing, <clears throat> and I said, listen. <clears throat> If if England um, if England lose today, I was in the middle of a pub. I'll sing your national anthem. Okay, so Scotland beat Scotland beat England. I can't remember that. Must be you. You probably know when they last won it, it up in uh, Murrayfield. And I basically stood in this pub and I started singing "God Save Our Gracious Queen." <laughs> and they're all like, I'm gonna set You said you'd you'd sing our anthem." And I said, "I am singing your anthem yeah, exactly." "God Save Our Gracious Queen." <laughs> so uh, it was like heads heads I win. Tales you lose
0: is quite good. Um,
1: what about the the, um, the South Africa anthem?
0: is pr- pretty good oh, as well, isn't it? You don't no, like it? No, it's, it's so long because they sing, um, oh, yeah, they, they, sing, they sing, sing both, two, don't two. They? they? sing, well, they, what about the Irish one? one as well.
1: The Irish one that you know, Ireland, Ireland.
0: yeah, but that's the uh, the, the, the new one, Islands Call, Islands Call. They only sing at home, don't they? Okay, all I right. Think. I think yeah, that that's good. When they get that going away, that's good. Um, so, don't think much I... of the Aussie. Don't think much, I think the Aussie one's a bit wet. <laughs> Advanced Australia. <feed>. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> knows, uh, oh we're gonna
1: get so much abuse on this. this is good. <laughs> I'm liking it. But on a more lighter note, I just thought um, I, I saw an interview with Ellis Genge. I don't know why, uh, who refers to me as, as sausages. Um, I, I'm sort of drawn to things that he says. Oh, I think I think
0: it's the sausage skin on the top of your head. It?
1: Mate. Oh yeah, you're probably That's right. right. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but but it's it's about more t- more testosterone apparently than anyone else. If you go and board. But Ellis Genge was talking about the first time he went into camp, like a representative level. I don't know whether it was England or, or I think he was in the Midlands, and yeah. um, he was basically. He was shut out of a few of the rooms. He knocked on their doors and tried to go in and have a bit of crack and just saw, see what people were up to. And they they basically pretended no one was in there. And um, and I think uh, eventually he opened the door and he had, a, he, had a, he had a thing of water and threw it in their face. And he was quite combative. And he was he was just saying that when he went to England camp, he was very nervous of people around and he, he couldn't believe James Haskell was talking to him. So he was like, what does he want? Does he want something? So, you know, he said he came from a tough background and found it hard to fit in, um, you know, with rugby being, you know, domineered by by white people and a white man's game. So he was talking about that. And it just, it just um, sort of made me think about all the roomies that I'd had over the years. I played for 10 years, uh, similar amount of caps as you, uh, probably... You know, spanned over a longer period. I was just thinking of um, of your best and worst and funniest roomie, and that. Uh, my, my, I remember my first roomie was a guy called Graham Dawe from no, down in yeah, yeah, yeah. down in Cornwall. And uh, if, if anyone <clears throat> has seen a forward with fingers like bananas, I mean, these fingers were just honestly incredible. He's a great player. He used to travel to Bath three hour journey. He used to travel twice a week. Um, up to train at Bath, and then uh, and, and obviously play, and then drive. Back. And he basically was a farmer. So when I met him, <clears throat> I didn't know much about him. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm I'm rooming with him first day. He's like, "Congratulations, well done." And anyway, it's six in the morning. I list. I hear this radio come on, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And I'm, I'm and I'm looking around the room, and I think the TV's on. And I'm like, what the fuck is that noise? And all I can hear is or around the coast, three, one, four of us, 33. And I was just thinking, what's this fucking sound? So what he had was, he had this little, at six o'clock in the morning, he had farming news of lost sheep and weather, all right, under his pillow. And after like 20 minutes, I was like, Graham, what's that? And he goes, don't shut up. I'm listening to to the news down on my farm. And I'm, listen, he, he, he was he was an animal. And I made the, and I got on really well with him, right? But I made the biggest mistake. I was just turned 21. I was at university. I was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a shit, really, a bit of a crack, always having a bit of banter. I was good friends with Mike Cat, who was next door. So this biggest mistake you can ever do, right? This is true story. So this is my first week. I've not even played for England. I'm training. I'm all excited. I'm not in the squad yet because Darren Morris is still starting he eventually he pulled out, but on one of the evenings, right? Wednesday evening, uh, um, Graham doors says to me, here, have you got any, uh, have you, have you got any, um, what is this? I, I, shaving foam. And I said, Oh no, I haven't got, I, I said, my cat's got some. So he's in his little Y front. So he goes out of my room to next door, knocks on the door to my cat. He gets, he gets some shaving foam and then he, he comes into my room, right? He's not taking the key with him. So I've, I've left the door. I've, I've closed the door on him. And I can see through the little hole. Now, bear in mind, this is the Petersham Hotel in Richmond, where the public actually also stayed in the hotel, along with the England team. And I can see through the hole. I can see him there with his shame with one hand, all right? Okay? And he's in his little Y front, and he's trying to get in. And I can see public going like... <laughs> through the corridor, like, looking at this half-naked man. And he's going, Kieran, open the door. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What's the the special password, right? And this is five minutes, and the people are walking past. He goes, here, if you don't open this door, I'm going to kick your fucking head in. I'm telling you now, right? So after a bit, after five, six, seven minutes of this, I'm thinking, he's not very happy. This is probably not a wise move. I said, do you promise me that you're not going to punch me when you come in? He goes, I promise. I said, promise on your daughter's life. To, I promise on my daughter's life. He opened the door and he went crack straight in my face, like you would not believe. So yeah, he smacked me, and that was my that was my rude awakening to have a bit more respect for the senior players. What about you? Who was you your first roommate? Yeah,
0: that cheeky scrum off. I remember, mate. Um, well, before I get on to my roommate, I, I came across Graham Dore a few times. I was playing for Oral early in my professional yeah. career, and he was down at Plymouth, and he, uh, you know, left Bath. He was playing for Plymouth with a full time. And this was back in the day when uh, rucking was rucking, you know, and everything get away with. And uh, I just remember being over the ball a few times and just getting absolutely pummeled. So you're not the only one on this podcast being punched by. I remember he used to punch me about six times to get me off the ball like that. And, <laughs> I, and I was just like, fucking ill, ref, what are you going to do about this? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're <laughs> on the ground and they're quite decent support down there. And, you know, referees at sort of a uh, championship level, you know, they were they were massive homers as well. And every single time, you know, I found my face getting pummeled, it was him because he was yeah. obviously, and he was, to be fair to him, mate, he was a very fit man. He, he was about 40 or something like that as well when he was playing. 50. There. It's almost 50. No, no, no. When he retired, he was 50. I'm saying back then, he was 40. He was about yeah. 40. He played for another 10 years. Yeah, he was a very, very fit man and obviously loved the game. Um, and afterwards, I think we won the game, actually. But afterwards, he sort of came up to me in a bar, bought me a pint, just goes, mate, like, he, he basically, he, he was complimenting me on my play. He goes, mate, you know, the best person we've had over the ball for a while and everything like that. And she goes, because I, I, was, I was pissed off. I was so pissed off with him. That, oh, were you? That The referee and the Tastros hadn't seen this. They weren't refereeing it, probably. i come away with two black eyes, all of that sort of stuff. Cuts in my mouth. And uh, he goes, Look, I can see you. I, I won't bother doing the accent, but I can see you're, you know, you're upset with me. But, uh, you know, here's a few points on me, mate. And take it as a badge of honor that it took <laughs> so many to get you off the ball like that. And I thought, sort of thought, oh, fair play. And I was quite pleased with myself after that. Uh, but, that's uh, all right. That's all right. Games Talking changed about- quite a bit, mate. Rucking's no longer shooing and punching to get people off the ball. But anyway, back to the, there's, I suppose there's a, there's a couple of different reasons. Obviously, I can't go into the sort of, uh, you, you know, these sort of airways debauched details of uh, my best roommates and uh, <laughs> what was, what was going on. on. You but, said earlier. But listen, listen, get it all out there. This for is, different for different reasons. Uh, Worst, similar, actually, same place, same position, same country. Steve Thompson right. suffered, as you know, suffered horrendously from psoriasis, didn't he? Um, oh shocking skin yeah. flaking
1: disease Itching. yes
0: yeah but yeah exactly so i used to just wake up but the thing is he had a treatment for it and he had this you know lotion or whatever it was and it actually worked but he was so lazy and you know i don't know just belligerent and thought you know i'm gonna do it by natural remedy that he didn't always put it on he only put it on like if it was really really causing him you know irritation yeah. pain or whatever yeah. <laughs> So I used to just get woken up all the time by the itching and scratching in the middle of the Are night. Are you sure it was itching and scratching? Uh, yeah, well, Are exactly. you sure? But, uh, and the duvet, that you know, the the, uh, the sheet was stuck to him. and I'm not sure that yeah. was the itching and stra- scratching. Oh, it that's disgusting. But it was like a snowstorm in the morning as well, mate. But uh, And the other you thing know, is, he used to get up early. So not only was oh. I woken up by all this itching and scratching and tossing and turn, he used to get up, and same as granddad about six o'clock. Um, the other guy, um, good mate of mine, um, <laughs> I think he had me down as his worst roommate actually, for another reason. But uh, room with him for quite a bit with England was Ugo Monja. Um, right. Okay. Now, for different reasons, this guy looks after himself. Um, you know, he's very considerate of you and all that. Except I would, you know, when you're with England, and obviously I'm a fatty forward, you try and look after your diet and your nutrition, you know, in terms mm. of. You know the proportion of carbs and you know protein all that sort of stuff and he used to invite a few of the other guys like delon used delon armitage used to come in a room yeah sips whoever it was all skinny backs you know they need to eat to put on weight and he used to invite him in around 10 10 30 at night and it was good crack good banter but they all used to order a shed load of white bread sandwiches. An apple crumble and ice cream, right? And you couldn't have anything. <laughs> yeah. And I would just say, I was like, please, can you do this around someone else's room like this or one of the other lads' rooms? No, oh, he was doing his room. And he used to order absolute boatloads of it. And I used to just be sat in bed like this. And I have to admit, Brax, mate, I just didn't have the willpower. I, I just couldn't help myself. So he used to tuck yeah. into it, it. Get your body fat measure the next day. <sighs> I did so well yesterday up until about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night when I just mm-hmm. let it all go. Um, but I like,
1: I like, I like, I like what you were saying earlier about you're quite guarded about your favourite, favourite uh, roommates. But I had a couple of favourite roommates when I was. Th- these are the days when I was single. But I think, I think we both of us happily married would rather just, just let that lie. One of my worst roommates was uh, was Stuart Barnes. So, God, listen, this, this is the amateur days. I remember, I remember basically England, we they lost, um, and. Rob Andrew was the 10 and he had a shocker. And then the the next match, uh, Jack Rowell picked picked him again and Stuart Barnes didn't get get a look in. And he had a big flare-up with um, with Jack Rowell about not being picked. And uh, that evening he came back to the room and he ordered a bottle of wine and another bottle of wine. And I wasn't really a big drinker. He ordered me a beer. But anyway, for for two hours, he just waxed lyrical about how how much better he was than Rob Andrew and it's all you know disgrace and then he'd start reading poetry and then he'd fall asleep and he would snore the whole night and it would go on for the whole week two bottles of wine or a bottle of wine at least every night and then just rip into the coach for not picking him and I would be there as a young lad having to say yeah I think you should be playing Uh, I think you're really good I think you should be in I mean it was a load of bollocks bollocks should he be in he couldn't tackle He's a good little
0: player. Yeah, but the, yeah, um, there's a, there's always a lot of Sonoras on there that you come across. Oh. The worst was uh, was Chris Robshaw at Quinn's, without shadow of doubt. I mean, he's got a little of a schnoz on him, so um, yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of airways there to get out. But talk, talk, we, we talk. used to we used to go to Millfield a couple of years in a row. I think Dino Dean Richards been cheap, you know, never warm weather training. Let's let's go, as cost effective as possible. Went to Millfield school um, slept, yeah. slept in the girls dormitories right the single beds which are right. about five foot long it was just horrendous and it was a trade yeah. it was the hardest training week of pre-season um anyway he um and obviously their dormitories are very you know very thin partition walls um he had to sleep in the boys dormitory because we could hear his snoring throughout the corridors throughout the different throughout the floors he was on the first yeah. We could hear him on the ground floor whatever it was after two nights, he was slung into a completely separate building. It was that bad. Oh, From seriously. From then on, I don't think he ever had a roommate at Quinns. It was your captain; you get your own room.
1: There's nothing worse than a team. snorer as the night before a game, especially. But uh, speaking of, this, Chris Robshaw, who's. I mean, there was talk a few months ago of him going to America, but uh, but now he's definitely going to San Diego Legion for two years. Um, I mean, you played with him. I mean, he he seems like a a real sort of fantastic captain, fantastic guy, almost you know, regarded as the scapegoat in the 2015 World Cup. But he played what 66 tests, 43 as captain. That's a lot as captain. You think, I think, that's mate, wise... I, think
0: that's just, I think that I might be wrong, Dylan Harley might have overtaken him since, but I think that's the second most games captain for England after Will Carling. Wow. Wow, yeah. amazing. What a career is that. But is that is
1: that the right move? I mean, what do you think going to America?
0: He's always he always wanted to do it. I spoke to him, I think, over like, you know, over a year ago. I remember his contract was up. And look, he's a player that has left nothing on the field, both at training and in a game. And he's yeah. given his body, mind, spirit, everything to the game. Fantastic career. Well, I mean it's not over, but fantastic career. And I think you know, Woody. I'm sure he would have had offers from Premiership clubs, maybe in France, maybe Japan. But he probably just wanted a different experience. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not sort of the regular attrition of rugby that you get in the top uh, top 14 or the uh, or the Premiership. Um, but obviously, look after yourself financially. And you know, there's rumours that a few private investors are investing big in American rugby. But um, look, lifestyle in San Diego. Tell, I. Yeah, I think I think it's a great new experience. Something that uh, you know, not a lot of rugby players would have the opportunity um, to go over to America and see what opportunities lie out there. He's gone to a great, great city. I remember actually, ironically enough, when I, I did my first trip to Vegas back in two thousand eight, I think it was with the lads. So uh, what I loved about oh England, England tours, what I loved about England tours, Brags, is uh, yeah, it was great. You go to the southern hemisphere. You know, your test yourself against the best, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. you need to reroute yourself. So a few of us for a number of years used to reroute ourselves via, the, you know, through the RFU, um, get your business class flights rerouted to Vegas and LA for a couple of years and then fly back. So you had the business class seats back. So they used to put oh, it in wow. bill. No, it was great. Anyway, the first time we went over to Vegas, I, you know, we did a week in Vegas, absolutely meant stupid. We, we only did about three, four days after that. Um, And then went over to L.A. I had a couple of mates in L.A. stayed there. We did the 101 up and down. And our last stop was San Diego. And I remember coming away from three days in San Diego. And then, you know, we called a flight back. I remember actually saying, when I retire, I'm going to coach out in San Diego. I loved it so much. Now, it was a bit of a pipe dream, a bit of a throwaway comment, you know, sort of quite capricious remark but I enjoyed it so much in terms of just the lifestyle. They love their rugby out there as well. Massive into their rugby and the university there as well. Um, you know, beach life, uh, You know, obviously speak the same language, don't they over in America, whereas France and Japan for him, might've been, it might've been a little bit trickier in terms of just trying to embed yourself into the culture. Um, although that's the sort of challenge a lot of people like, maybe thought, you know what, if they speak the same language, it's going to be a bit easier. But uh a great city, a wonderful place. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, you know, to hearing the tales after about six months in to seeing how he thinks it's going. You know, outside of rugby, not interested in that. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the other stuff. But it's a long way away, though. Long it is,
1: away. it is. I guess he's got family. He's going to take his family, his wife, maybe not working, got kids and stuff. So it's, it's a nice new challenge for him, isn't it, out there?
0: Really nice. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and his wife is a, a singer. So I think there might be... Yeah, there might be a little bit of that in it as well in terms of opportunities over there. Yeah, of
1: course.
0: course. You probably wouldn't get that in Japan or France. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. You're listening to Rocket this Friday. Myself and Kieran will be joined by former Ireland captain, Rory Best. Here's a quick taster of what to expect. New Zealand are a great team. They got momentum and, and we got... You look at the mistakes we made at the start of that game. You know, that wasn't down to a meeting... The morning of the game, doing yeah. the cabin, yeah. wrong, yeah. but you're trying to pick, you're trying to pick holders to so right Well, look, I'll not get another chance at the World Cup, but Ireland will. And how, as an Irish rugby supporter, can we make sure that they get the semi-final? Because it's now become a massive monkey on our back. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast.
1: I thought we'd finish off, and uh, it's it's uh, it's going to be great uh, speaking to rory best as a special edition on this podcast i've got so much to ask him god what career he's had but uh yeah we can ask him the, the that question you know why do ireland sort of uh, peak between world cups so that'd be interesting but but before we do let's just uh, finish off with the latest news about about the global calendar i believe the premiership clubs and the french clubs have they want to keep the winter game for themselves. Can I just, they can
0: I just interrupt you there, Brax, actually? Just, yeah. just something sprung into my mind. No, it wasn't on the right. agenda, but we're free yeah. to talk about what we want. Yeah. You're talking Rory Best, Irishman, legend of his game, uh, you know, or, honest, forthright. I'm just going to bring up another Irishman who's probably a little bit more, you know, acerbic of tongue and um, doesn't hold his punches. Different sport. Did you see it Friday night? Roy Keane. The Manchester I, United Tottenham this. game. Now, to be honest, we know what he's like. He's in there, he's grumpy, he's moody, he's you know, I don't think, you know, what is the side the furthest from negativity? I don't know, but that's the side yeah. he's on. Um, no one's good enough, he's cantankerous, he's always angry. Um, but he doesn't pull punches and he's honest, and you know, I know it's quite satirical sometimes, but actually he does speak a lot of sense. But I just want to ask a question without getting into him. Not a football podcast, but uh, it's fascinating whenever he's on. You know, you what? You actually don't want to go out for a cup of tea. We need someone like that in rugby. Do we need a pundit like that in rugby? Obviously, not quite as vicious and harsh. Oh yeah, someone. Yeah. So, shall, shall I tell you what. In 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 punditry, when you get the experts, I don't know about what, how you feel, but the ones that you can see they're veering towards, you know giving their truthful opinion they'd give behind closed doors. But when the camera's on them, they just pull back and sit on the fence a little too often. You know, a lot of them do is, do we need or does sports always need someone like that just to be, have a bit of yin? I, I, I
1: agree with you. I think we need personalities. I think the closest to that, um, I think he's pretty good, is Austin Healy every yeah. now and again. He, he does say stuff and you kind of go, really? And then you go, oh, actually, mate, that's a point. He's got a point. I quite, I quite like reading some of his articles. I think it's it Telegraph. He, 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 he does make a lot of sense and he says things a bit controversial and that's what i I agree with you i
0: think probably him and brian moore uh, yeah brian moore's good speak 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 their mind within reason you know not not through bitterness you know there's you don't want like ex-players you know who are bitter and uh you want them to speak the facts as they see it and if it's not good enough you know like in the case we're discussing it's not good enough why isn't it good enough? And don't hold your punches when you sort of refer to a player, basically. Well, I can't believe
1: I've just willfully complimented Austin Healy. Uh, but we'll just leave it there. We won't move on from that. But I, I agree with you. You know, I'll tell you who I think might be quite good uh, or slightly different in left field. I know he's a bit of a joker, but I do, some, I do listen to Joe Marlow whenever he talks. I quite like Joe Marler. I think he's a sort of bloke who would, like, stun um, you know the BBC commentary on on the Six Nations, he'd just say something completely left field, which would make sense. But I don't know whether he's too
0: much of a joker. But someone like if Joe went into that, uh, if he if he did a bit, of can fun you imagine in Joe's career? I could see him. Uh, he would have quite a bit of fun, as you say, just the non secateurs just make, making something that just doesn't join up with what. Uh, that's the, the thing. presenter's yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and he, he's a bit like Eric Cantona, you know, when he got his award last year and he quoted, um, was it King Lear? I can't remember. I might be wrong. How
1: but come he, you, you, listen, represent. you just come up with non secateur, right? Because my, my, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at the table, I don't know, a year or so ago and I, I said something and my eldest said, oh, that's non secateur My wife said, yeah, yeah, come on, Kieran. I was like, what the fuck are you on about? Non-secretur. So for those who are like me, who are, Educated but un- <laughs> uneducated, you, you if you want to explain, it's basically talking like response, just doesn't follow with, mate. it just doesn't, doesn't, follow. Follow. It doesn't well, follow. If you, if you want, if you want, to I think if
0: you want the best comedy example of non sequiturs, I don't know, I'm thinking of Tom, look at the naked gun trilogies the, the sort right, of comedy, yeah. you know, the random sort of comments that are made there, or you know, you don't follow what they're talking about. Um, yeah. you know, like
1: airplane that wasn't oh, yeah, but that wasn't a good. A good, uh, a good example of it. Effectively, it's about, it's, it's like saying to Joe Marler, what did you think of the game today? And him yeah. say, and then him going, well, you know, the horses go to the, uh, you know, they go to get get a feed and they want to do that. And, they, and it's, suddenly it's just fucking completely random right. and nothing yeah. to do with it, which is, I did like his, I did like his interview. If we could if you could find that, those who haven't seen it, his interview where, uh, it went global, it went viral, didn't it? They said, what did they say? So, um, so you're disappointed uh, about harlequins at the weekend, you know, what not winning. He says, Well, what did he say? He said, If you get no, he a said horse, the horse,
0: the horse has bolted. <laughs> did he say the horse has bolted? No, we need I, to get, no, back, on got, back, need to get on back on the you horse. He said, Back on the horse.
1: You can, and you can bring the horse to water and the, listen, the yeah. horse, it, it might drink. We need to give him
0: a, a bit of nourishment, a bit of food. And if you,
1: you're going to get back on. You're going to get back on. And the, horse, and the horse might be like, ooh. It was quite was like, what's he on about? Well, that went viral. So if you haven't seen it, do have a look at it. Let's just finish off, as we always do. The last serious thing is uh, the global cal- calendar. The English and French clubs want to keep the winter game. They don't want to share it. They don't want to start in January. Uh, interesting also, the opportunity of the new World Club Cup. Um, and and the fact that uh, they want to have it is it top six Super Rugby top four Premiership um, the top four in, in in the top fourteen and the Pro fourteen which means I think Wales wouldn't be represented at all because they wouldn't make the top four so that's quite interesting whether that will happen in the next few years uh, you know the World Club Game but it sounds like for me that the the the, the, the clubs in England and France are going to boycott any opportunity to make it a global calendar which we all thought they would didn't we
0: yes and look i i completely get uh, their standpoint and um i'm not I, i'm not for a global calendar as you know brax i'm certainly for less games um and the irony in this is you hear the you know the pro global calendar players coaches you know administrators, you know, even on World Rugby saying, you know, and then we could bring back the sort of old-style tours. And it's like, well, they were tours because it was the end of your season in the middle of ours and vice versa. And yours, and they were describing it exactly as the season runs at the moment. Yeah. And it's sort of, well, hold on a second. How are you going to manufacture that? What, are you going to have a couple of seasons where they're aligned and then, what, one season where they're not? That's a complete mess. Mm. Um but the, 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 the big thing, mate, is it's monetizing the game and, and the club game. So we've spoken about sort of, um, you know, it being a winter sport and it running in conjunction with sport playing in schools and the community and all that sort of stuff. But if you've got to compete in the summer, just think about it, mate. You've got to compete with Wimbledon, the Open, Euro Championships every – well, Euro Championship or World Cup football every two years, um, cricket, test, test matches in cricket, um, golf. Um, I mentioned that with the open, but, uh, you know, you've got Henley regatta, you've got, you know, the polo, all that. So all these events, ASCOT, all these events are on, right. Where people mm. actually flock to go, they're an institution in themselves. Um, you know, especially in the hospitality sector and TV covers that there's going to be very, very little left for rugby and people go mm. on holiday in August. They go on holiday in July, August, September. You know, we know what it's like. I mean, at Saracens, you never had spectators anyway. But at Quinns, when we had home games in September, we didn't want home games in September. I think Quinns were one of the biggest advocates for the doubleheader, London doubleheader. And it'd been an away game. So we didn't lose a home game. It was part of the negotiations back when Mark Evans was there. Um, And we only really wanted, we knew out of four games, one would have to be at home. We we rejoiced, or shall I say, the marketing department or whatever, rejoiced when there was only one home game in September because we knew people would still be on holiday. Yeah. Uh, and we prefer to sort of, you know, stick them sort of in October and later on in the season. Is, there it, yeah. is monetizing it, mate, for all those reasons, fans being away, other interests and TV, are, are the, you know, TV companies, are they going to pay the same rights to try and fight with the likes of Wimbledon, the Open, the World Cup, all of that sort of stuff, mainstream, free to air TV? um broadcasting is, other sports it, it, and you're going to get BT Sport or Sky or Amazon or whatever I mean it is the rights of rugby
1: it is a tradition isn't it during, during December the end of December and uh, New Year's that there's a plethora of rugby games when there's not that much else on. What else is to do? And you, and and you and get and the bumper
0: games. crowds in, mate. You know, the New Year games, the Boxing Day, around the Boxing Day fixture, post-Christmas, even pre-Christmas, that's when they all sort of flock to the ground. And also,
1: and also yeah. the style of rugby that's going to be played as well. I think there's something special about playing in the rain, playing in the cold, uh, as, as opposed to playing in the hard grounds in the sun. You know, the game will change, won't it, if it just becomes a summer sport. So... Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for change, but there's something special about horrible, wet, drizzly night and uh, just before Christmas watching a game. Um, what, so will listen, what
0: sport Whatever you know, there'll be football obviously on telly, but uh, what if you're not a football fan or, um, you know, you want to have a little uh, bit of variety to your sport watching? It's a winter sport, um, you know, and New Zealand seemed to cope all right. Did you watch the, the Blues-Chiefs game was played in a deluge of rain? Oh,
1: yeah. Um, so, so, you know, yeah. Really good. Some really great rugby out there, isn't it, being played? It's uh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. But uh, should we, listen, um, should we finish off? We said we were going to um, – I was going to show you my pool, show you my piece, and you were going to show me your piece on camera. I'm going to get to my pool. Just installed. All right, let me have a look. Let's go downstairs now. All right. You see, I was on Twitter and I saw Matt Dawson. He, uh, he was—he was well. He's on Instagram and he—he um, he had a picture of his uh, of his kids in the pool. Or he, he showed a bit on Instagram of, of the kids jumping in the pool, massive pool in this big garden. I thought, bloody hell! Here we go. Let me just see if I can show you my pool. There we go. There it is. A big you see best way fast set I was a bit pre-advertised
0: there you go there's my pool did you uh, how did you how did you blow that up mate did you blow that up with uh, your own lungs or with a foot pump no yeah no with your own lungs it's uh,
1: it's quite clever have you got one it's it's a hot week mate it's a hot week don't don't say I got my my my, pool
0: mate my one I I can't I can't there's too much traffic in the way (laughs) uh, my one is probably a metre a metre diameter mate it's for the little man the little man but uh no it is gonna be a hot week actually i might have to get a bigger one but the reason i ask if you blow blew something that big up with your lungs is my next door neighbor did and he literally spent and all i could hear this was was weeks ago when we first went to lockdown uh, that hot period you thought thought it was sex next door did you well i I, I, I didn't hear any sort of uh shrieks or screams so i knew that wasn't going but uh for about six hours all i could hear was uh him trying his best and he wouldn't wait for the foot pump. It was arriving by <laughs> delivery two days later than the pool. He wouldn't wait for it because his, his boy was desperate to get into the paddling pool. You know, those make Father's Day yesterday. Those are sort of sacrifices that don't get talked about too often, do they? Yeah, you didn't get a present. Your one's too little.
1: I got a present. So let me, do you know what? Even better, I'll have to show you this because this is just fantastic. And if, if there's ever I get a present and I'm like, that's that's the best present ever, Okay, this is what I got. Me. All right, so it's a little metal box. So there's the metal box. Okay, and I'm like, well, what's in there? Look at this. Look at that. Yeah, they got the dairy milk mate. Oh, dairy how good's that? Look at that. Look at that.
0: I'm surprised you haven't smashed that in. No, I, well, I have. Look, look. <laughs> I have. Seriously, mate, man. you've had 24 hours. Are you kidding? <laughs> You, you you would have done well, Rummy, with Hugo, mate. You have the uh, you have the <coughs> willpower, you have the self discipline. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the brand new rugby podcast, Rocket, with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for listening to Rocket uh, this Friday. Myself and Kieran will be joined by Rory Best. Don't forget to subscribe, listen, and review.